Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Last of Us Nerds podcast. We're excited to be back this week. I'm one of your hosts, as always, Jacob Rude, joined by Tom. Two longtime fans of the game for those of us, or for those of you that have not listened to us uh, before. Uh, two longtime fans of the game, breaking down the HBO's Last of Us TV show. New episodes drop every Tuesday morning, as I'm sure many of you uh, have found out throughout the first couple episodes. But exciting time. We are right in the thick of it when it comes to uh, this first season. Tom, how are you? Uh, how'd you enjoy Last of Us this week? And how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Uh, only cried a little bit. Uh, so better, <laughs> better than better than some people. I uh, want to remind everyone once again, this is a spoiler safe podcast. So we are fans of the game, and but we're mostly discussing what happens in this episode itself. We are going to be contextualizing the show from the perspective of fans of the game uh, and the source material. We'll talk about ways that it's changing, ways that it's adapting it. There's a whole bunch of changes. Uh, mostly this entire episode is very new to us in particular. Um, but just want to make it clear, we're not going to be discussing any future spoilers for the majority of the podcast. We will have a clear spoiler break at the end where we will be unleashed with our full speculation, but we will be warning you ahead of time before that happens. Throughout the episode, we're going to have uh, some awards to give out, such as Best Adaptation, Best Show Change, MVP of the Week. Throughout the discussion, we also can chuck a Molotov hot take or use a crafting upgrade to nitpick and improve the show if we should choose to be so bold. Uh, once again, reminder, follow us on Twitter at T-L-O-U Nerds. You can also send us an email at T-L-O-U-Nerds at gmail.com. we got some great mailbag questions this week. Anything that's on your mind, if you have any questions about the source material or how we feel about certain things, just shoot us a, a quick message. Uh, again, five-star reviews. We need them. we got to have them. We must praise the almighty algorithm, which determines <laughs> how many people that this podcast gets in front of. Spread this podcast like a cordyceps infection infestation plague uh minus the biting though right don't bite anyone uh and unless it's consensual uh and just make sure that ever you get this podcast in front of your friends if you have a buddy that loves the last of us like we are to each other make sure that you send that love that way i think spotify in particular it doesn't even show our rating until we have a certain number of ratings so make sure everyone pump those five star ratings up it would really help us out a lot so overall thoughts jacob yeah, episode three, long, long time, written by Neil Druckmann and Craig Mazin, directed by Peter Hoare. Uh, like you said, an episode that we had very little, we have very little information on this. This is an entirely new story uh, adapted in a completely different way, as we'll talk about, and unbelievable to me. Maybe I'll throw it out right away, my Molotov hot take, because I think this is the best episode of the series so far. I realize it is only three episodes in, but I absolutely love this episode. As you said, some tears. I Part of it is just how much it caught me off guard, because this was just not anything that we expected from this episode. Uh, I it was It was great. I loved it. It was a joy to watch. It was it was fun to watch a story be told in this universe that I didn't know what the ending was going to be. So uh, from that aspect, I, it was a it was a lot of fun. I, I sent someone a message afterwards that said basically this was what if we took the intro to up and made it an eighty minute TV episode. 
and it hit the same way. The same amount of tears were there at the end of this episode as the intro to Up. So I loved it. It it was great. What were your thoughts on it? Yeah, so for full context, um, we're recording this on Monday. Last night, uh, I was at Arrowhead Stadium uh, watching my Chiefs uh, advance to the Super Bowl. Uh, so that took a lot of my energy and emotions from the day. And then I got home, uh, watched the episode, thought it was really beautiful, thought it was really well done. Uh, I texted Jacob immediately after. and I was like, wow, like, wow, they're just completely changing a whole lot of things. And Jacob's like, well, first of all, your first reaction should be, holy shit, what an episode. Which <laughs> there. Um, and then when I was rewatching it today, I, I, I think I was even more particularly struck by the emotions of it. Um, the music, I, I love the way they utilize that, the way that we'll get into. Uh, I think we, we can't go any further without raving about Nick Offerman and Marie Bartlett in this episode. Uh, both fantastic. Uh, I have a strong suspicion that probably both of them will get a nomination for a guest star for an Emmy. And I would, I, it's going to be tough for anyone to beat Nick Offerman, I would think for this. Um, uh, I, I also wanted to just say, I, Again, it's really representation is really important. Uh, It's really important to everybody. And it's important to be able to watch something and see yourself in it. And the more ways the show can do that, the better. And the sooner people accept that that's a good thing and not a bad thing, the better, because that's the reality of it. It's very important to be able to see yourself in a story. I think they did a great job uh, of representing an honest middle-aged gay couple. Uh, From the sounds of it, Craig Mazin went to great lengths to talk to people that were middle-aged gay men to make sure that they were portraying an honest representation of it. Uh, Murray Bartlett uh, is gay and he was, he was gay in this. He was gay in the white Lotus as well, his characters. Um, But uh, it it sounds like they went out of their way to make sure that everything that they were doing was very honest and represented. Well, I think that showed in the quality of the story. Um, But yeah, yeah, I, I thought it was a great episode of television. The only thing I will say is that I feel like I would have enjoyed it more and I felt like I probably would have been blown away by it more had I not heard all the hype for weeks going into this episode. So I think that that's just a personal problem. Whenever things are hyped up so well, my expectations get raised and I enjoy things mm-hmm. better when I go into them with no expectations or low expectations. Um, and I, I, I wish I could have been. Like, you know, one of these critics that had a screener that, hey, maybe next season when our podcast blows up, we'll get screeners <laughs> at that time, you know. But I would have loved to be able to experience this without knowing anything going in and just be blown away by this story. Because if I hadn't known that Bill and Frank were going to play a huge role and that this was going to be a big Bill and Frank episode and it's a great episode and it was hugely heartbreaking and all that, I feel like I would have had a much more emotional first time reaction to it. But uh, again, as it goes on and as I've already rewatched it like one and a half times, um, I think it's beautiful and a really, really well done episode of television. To your point about representation, what I've liked most in the 24, 48 hours since we, since the episode aired is just the, the stories of people just kind of thanking uh, Craig Mazin, Neil Druckmann, the, the creators, the writers, the directors of The Last of Us for just having that, that representation. And it's not something you see often. And as you said, Craig Mazin went out of his way to... Uh, make sure that it was there in in multiple fronts. So hats off to them. It was a fantastic episode. We're going to dive into here in a bit. Joel and Ellie were, were in this episode. They started it off. They ended it uh, in the middle was the heartbreaking love story, but Joel and Ellie are are really finding their stride. And uh, 
I mean, you, you seem to really like Ellie this episode. Yeah, Joel, Joel and Ellie were the bread to the, the Bill and Frank sandwich, and uh, it was some tasty bread as well. So I, I, I thought this was a tremendous Joel and Ellie episode for several reasons that we're going to get into in depth. Uh, I do think it was my favorite Ellie episode. I thought Bella Ramsey, it, again, my the, the stock charts of how, how, how I feel about the casting from announcement to trailer to first episode to second episode to now. It's just it's just a, 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 a complete stonks line up. Uh, so I, I was really impressed with her. I thought she did a great job. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I'm really excited to talk more in depth about the changes. You, you're really starting to see the beginning of the relationship to develop between Joel and Ellie, which as we've talked about, obviously that's a dynamic of the show and the story that we're uh, super attached to and, and, and enjoy quite a lot. Um, but yeah, really interested to, to talk about that further in depth. I Before we get there, because it's such a big point of discussion for this episode and for this podcast in particular, because it's such a big change from the show, I want to read this mailbag question we got from Colin. So Colin said, did you know when the 80s music played at the end of the pilot that it meant Bill and Frank were gone? How much of that story was in the game? It sure felt mostly original. So uh, I feel like this is the best time to just sort of lay out in a quick quick way what happened in the game with Bill and Bill's Town. So that way you guys have a clear understanding of where we're coming from it in case you hadn't played the game. So in the game, Tess in the last episode never tells Joel to get her to Bill and Frank's, but rather to get her to Tommy's because Tommy used to be a firefly and will know where to go. We were a little puzzled actually last episode where it was like, Bill and Frank, what? Like Bill's not, Bill's not going to take her to the fireflies. What are you talking about, Tess? Uh, but Joel and Ellie set out for Bill's town because Joel says he's not too far. Uh, Bill owes Joel some favors and there's a good chance that Bill could get them a car. Joel and Ellie navigate through a series of tripwires and traps surrounding Bill's town and Joel warns her about how paranoid and distrusting of strangers Bill can be. Bill reluctantly agrees to help Joel get a car, but it, at first he says, whatever favors you think I owe you ain't worth that much. Joel says, actually, Bill, they are. We never learned what those are. We were wondering if maybe we would find out what those favors were going to be. We discussed that in the spoiler session of our preview pod of wondering if we would get more backstory on that. Nope. A little bit of a different story here, but that's totally okay. Um, so they agree to set out to find the car, car battery in a dangerous area by high school uh, that he knows the car battery is in a truck there. So they can put together something that runs. Bill does not get along with Ellie. That is one casualty of this episode is they had a hilarious shit talking yes. dynamic in the game, uh, which if, if people go back and watch the game or play the game, I think you're really going to enjoy a lot of the Bill and Ellie interactions. It's quite a joy. Um, but Bill thinks she's a nuisance, a waste of his and Joel's time. And several times Bill tells Joel to send Ellie packing and that having someone to look after is good for one thing, getting you killed. Bill tells Joel that he used to have a partner, someone he cared about, but he wisened the fuck up and realized it's got to be just him. And after encountering several infected, including a different type that we haven't seen in the show yet, so I'm not going to talk about, the battery is gone from the truck when they get to it that they were after. Someone had already taken it out of the truck. Later, they stumble upon a house to find a body hanging from the ceiling, and it's Frank. Bill identifies him from this colorful Hawaiian shirt. He was the only idiot who would wear a shirt like that, Bill says. Frank has bite marks from infected, and he hanged himself to avoid turning. Joel does not know how to comfort Bill. However, they actually find that Frank had found Bill's battery and had put it in a truck, and unfortunately, they never got to use it. Frank left a suicide note, and it is a doozy. It reads, quote, Well, Bill, I doubt you'd ever find this note because you were too scared to ever make it to this part of town, but if for some reason you did, I want you to know I hated your guts 
I grew tired of this shitty town and your set in your ways attitude. I wanted more from life than this, and you could never get that. And that stupid battery you kept moaning about, I got it, but I guess you were right. Trying to leave this town will kill me. Still better than spending another day with you. Good luck, Frank. So, after that... Just uh, hearing get- that that letter and what we just watched is just... I forgot how, different. Yeah, I forgot how, like, uh, direct that letter was. And it's such a... A completely different take. That's why we were taken back by this episode. It's not close to what the the game was like. For sure. And, they, and eventually, so they get the truck going. Uh, they head out. They start to head out of the town. Joel tells uh, Bill that he's sorry about Frank, or he tries to, but doesn't really know how to articulate it or what to say. Uh, and Bill says, we square. Joel says, we're square. And Bill says, then get the fuck out of my town. And Joel and Ellie drive away heading west. So that's the Bill that we knew. And it was a very limited exposure to the character of Frank. We obviously we never met Frank in the game. He was just a a dead body hanging in a Hawaiian shirt. Um, so obviously the show, Mazin and Druckmann, took a lot of liberties with the source material here. And I think it was in a good way. Overall, it paid off. But Jacob, overall thoughts of the different direction they went in. Yeah, Neil Druckmann talked, I believe, on the official podcast with... Basically, the balance of if you're taking something away, what are you gaining in return? You took a lot away from kind of the game story, but the return was incredible. It's I mean, it's an entirely different story, but it's one of the spots where you could tell an entirely different story and not have it drastically change the overarching Last of Us story. It was it like you said in the game it's just kind of this small relatively small interaction you have with bill and it's nothing with frank and ultimately the end goal is to get a car and move on and they accomplish that they accomplish it all the same in in the show but it is the way they get there is a whole lot different i think one of my favorite tweets i saw from the last uh, or just kind of talking about this episode was from zach uh, silberberg who said the Last of Us writers were like, hey, Joel needs a car. What if we write the most touching and heartbreaking hour of television in the world? Which is it's effectively what the end goal was, is Joel and Ellie at the beginning need a car to get to Wyoming. That's what it was in the game. And the way we got there was just a whole lot different this week. For sure. And one thing I'm, I'm going to get into more further later is the, the purpose of Bill's character in the game is similar, but they get there in a very different way, right? It's sort of a, a, a reminder to Joel of what happens when you get attached and, and when you love someone. Uh, and obviously the message that that uh, that Bill leaves Joel with at the end here is completely different than what game Bill would, would tell him repeatedly. And we're going to get into that uh, more in depth a little bit later. But this was so effective. It was such a touching, beautiful, heartwarming love story. Uh, and, and obviously big changes that Bill got a happy ending. This is about as happy of an ending oh, yeah. as you can get in this universe. Um, it was it was beautiful. It was sad, but it was also happy in in that again that that duality that we love about this IP is is that it it, it enables you to feel both those things and sometimes at the same time, which is crazy. Um, but I want to throw off a, a Molotov hot take from a question we got from Grant on Twitter, who's probably not going to hear this, or he might not for a while. But his question was. If I haven't played the game, but I plan to, should I watch the show? And this is where I'm going to throw out my mod of hot tech that I think, again, 
disclaimer, we reserve the right to change our mind should they do things that we hate later. Uh, but I think this show week by week is establishing itself as the definitive way to experience this story. Honestly, the point from Boston through Billstown, in my opinion, is clearly the least interesting part of the story in the source material. Yeah. And it's already this good uh, each episode. So I can only imagine that they're going to keep some of the iconic moments later on while still finding ways to improve and flush things out along the way. So that's my Molotov hot take. I think this is the right now. It's looking like this is the best way to experience the show, especially right now. If you want to be part of the zeitgeist and, you know, this is a show everyone's watching and everyone's talking about right now. I, I think this is a great way to experience it for the first time. And then I, I still think there's going to be plenty to enjoy if you go back and play the game afterwards. Particularly, I think you're going to be interested to see the differences in Ashley Johnson and Troy Baker's performance, but also just how the gameplay enhances the, the world in this story as well. Um, I think both are still going to be well worth your time. And I think it'll add an element to the gameplay as well. I I mean, just uh, my I haven't played, obviously, since this episode came out, but just kind of thinking to it, there's a certain different element of sadness now to Bill's character in the game that isn't there when we were playing it beforehand. So I think there's elements that it's going to add along the way. I like that take. Uh, if you haven't experienced this before, then yeah, I, I think this, which makes sense. You can certainly flesh out a lot more of the story in a TV show than you can a game. And it's different ways of storytelling. But yeah, I, 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 I like that. Watch the show if it's your first time. And then maybe week by week or once the show ends, play the game along with it. At the very least, it's going to add kind of a new element to the story in the game. All right, I think it's time that we get into the nitty-gritty what happened this episode. So part one, a history lesson. In the present day, 10 miles west of Boston, Joel has a quiet moment to himself by a creek after suffering the loss of Tess. He soaks his injured hand in the water and stacks a tower of stones as a small monument. When Joel returns to Ellie, it's fairly tense between the two. We can tell both of them are still processing what happened to Tess, perhaps with some intense emotions and even harboring resentment toward each other for it. Ellie lashes out somewhat, making clear that what happened to Tess was not her fault, so Joel should not blame her. Joel stares at her for a moment and then nods, as if to say, fair enough. The tension is noticeably relieved. They're about five miles out from Bill and Frank, and Ellie starts asking Joel a lot of questions about what he's looking out for, about his scar, about Bill and Frank, if she can have a gun. You ask a lot of goddamn questions. Yes, Ellie replies happily, I do. Joel stops at an old convenience store that they had previously stashed supplies at. Ellie geeks out over the store having an arcade version of the fighting game Mortal Kombat 2 and says she had a friend that knew everything about it. As Joel searches for where he stashed his supplies, Ellie searches the store. In the cellar, she finds a box of tampons before realizing she's not alone down there and infected has been trapped by the weight of the debris. Unable to get to Ellie, it has to watch her as she approaches it with her knife, slowly making a cut across its forehead before eventually killing it with a stab. Later, Joel and Ellie come across a plane that had crashed into the hillside. And while Joel reflects our reality of air travel and not seeming that remarkable, talks about getting shoved into a metal seat and paying $12 for a sandwich, Ellie is amazed by it. Dude, you got to go up into the sky. Yeah, well, so did they as he gestures toward the crash plane. 
Ellie asked how everything came crashing down so fast on outbreak day. And Joel says, no one knows for sure. But the best guess is that after the cordyceps mutated, it got into the food supply. Most likely a basic ingredient like flour, air horn sounding. Hope you listen to the podcast for the theories. Uh, There were certain brands of food that were sold everywhere across the globe. Bread, cereal, pancake mix. Thursday, September 25th, the food hit the shelves. By Friday, people were getting sick. By Friday night, September 26, 2003, well, we saw what happened. And by Monday, everything was gone, Joel says. He gave Ellie a crucial history lesson that the Federal Military School for Orphans would not, and she thanks him for it. Joel realizes what's up ahead, and he tries to divert Ellie to go through the woods instead. Her curiosity rebels. And she goes forward to find what Joel didn't want her to see, a pile of bodies from Fedra. They weren't sick, but there wasn't room at the QZ, and dead people can't get infected. So I love this sequence. The I think my, my favorite part is Joel giving that history lesson to Ellie because you can she she has an appreciation for it. She thanks him for it. He says, yeah, sure. And it's just it's just it's it's a small moment, but it's it's just the first sign of warmth between these two characters. The first beginning of a foundation um, of of something that can that can grow and can develop. And I, I think a lot of that was them communicate. Ellie, Ellie being the one, of course, she it's a recurring thing that she will be the one to have to communicate uh, feelings in these things. And I'm, I'm glad she got it out on the table of like, hey, like, don't blame me for it. I do also think she, and, and Mason sort of alluded to this on the official podcast that she probably was doing that out of a little bit of guilt, mm-hmm. you know, a little yeah. bit of lying to herself, maybe of like, hey, this wasn't my fault. It's not my fault. Um, but obviously, Joel realizes as soon as she said it that she's right. He, he shouldn't blame her for it. And I think they can move on in a healthy way from that. But um, Jacob, what what uh, what stood out to you about this segment? Yeah, I mean, it's obvious because this is what it was, but just the interactions between the two, it's specifically to the the one you just mentioned about don't blame me for something. It isn't my fault. I think it is Ellie um, kind of hiding some guilt, but I also think it's Ellie just not falling in line and kind of being blindly led by Joel and sticking up for herself a bit and, and letting Joel know that, you know, I'm not just going to do as you say and follow you around and everything like that, which we'll, we'll see more of throughout. But it was a, I think Joel kind of respected her for that moment. Like you said, he kind of nods and realizes, yeah, you're probably right. And they go on. So just seeing that relationship right away from the two of them after the moment they just went through was, I I liked all the interactions. Uh, I laughed when they said 10 miles West of Boston, because I I haven't been to Boston, but they were in the middle of the woods. I know uh, I know it's 20 years after the outbreak, and I'm sure nature has taken over a lot of things. But uh, that wasn't 10 miles west of Boston. My uh, my brother pointed this out. He said that someone just replied to that tweet. He was like, oh, here I fixed it. And they just photoshopped a Duncan in the background. Uh, and, then, <laughs> and then it was all good. But it was I, I in the interactions between the two of them and. Ellie asking, like, are Bill and Frank nice? And Joel saying, well, Frank is. Uh, I was a we didn't realize it at the moment necessarily, but that was a good uh, precursor to what we were about to see. You you mentioned it at the beginning, but Bella is really coming into her own 
as Ellie and the, it's the kind of the quick one-liners or, or the, the, her sense of humor when she's talking to Joel about the scar he has and how he got it. And he said, he, somebody shot and miss, but I shot back and miss. And is that cause you suck at shooting or just in general, the, the missing happens more often. So, um, I love Ellie's sense of humor. They they've adapted it well to this show. They've added to it and it all fits in just perfectly. Ellie was, killing the zombie for me was a, I don't know. Is Ellie a psychopath? So again, this is a, a, a different element that is not in the game. We, we talked about it in the first episode when she seemed to get enjoyment out of watching Joel beat Lee, the federal officer to death. Uh, we're like, huh? What's that? Uh, interested. Where, where, where are they, where are they going to go with that? So, um, yeah, I don't know about psychopath, but maybe there's just like a little, little tiny bit of, uh, uh, of, of sadisticness to her. Is that the right word? Uh, I, I, but I'm not really sure, but also part of it, you know, maybe, maybe part of it was curiosity. There's this infected yeah. there that's trapped that can't get to her. Um, she's probably never had an opportunity, you know, Hey, it's, it's, it's like, uh, you know, in, in middle school or high school, when you did like a autopsy or whatever on on a frog or something, mm-hmm. this is next best thing. Um, autopsy on a on a zombie in the Fedra science class. Yeah, hey, it's not a zombie; it's an infected. Don't get don't get the common people angry at you. <laughs> um, but yeah, that that was definitely an uh, interesting moment. Yeah, that the, the I, I love the exchange about the shooting of just like. Uh, <laughs> You know, it, it was, uh, uh, wh- where'd you get the scar? And she was like, ah, she's like, oh, what? Is it something lame? And she's like, no, like someone shot at me. Missed. See, that's cool. It was just, it was a great exchange. Um, and uh, it, yeah, again, I, I feel like the chemistry between the two actors in particular is is, is developing. Got to feel like those, I I, I could be wrong. I, I su- suspect some of those first episodes were also the first things they shot. Because again, mm-hmm. it feels like Bella's more coming in, into her own and, uh, also mastering American accent sounds sounds a lot better than maybe there were a few moments early on in the first episode where I was like, mm, that sounded like a little weird, but uh, overall I think doing great now. There's moments of realism kind of sprinkled throughout. And I thought it was, it happened a lot in this episode. We'll mention a couple times, but one of them that I just never had thought about before. I, they don't show, I don't think a plane in the game at any point, but Ellie's fascination with flying. That's just something she would have never done. And I enjoyed that scene where she is just awestruck at the idea that that Joel was in the sky and, and comparing that to Joel, as you said, Joel's experience, as is all of our experience, getting shoved into a middle seat and paying twelve dollars for a sandwich. I liked that exchange and, and just what it, it was. an It's an element that, like I said, hadn't thought of, but it makes sense because Ellie's not experienced this before she would just be absolutely in awe of the idea of just flying because it doesn't happen now. There's there's no planes flying around now. So it's those little moments that will be sprinkled throughout this episode and the rest of the series, I'm sure, that you don't put a lot of thought into, but it was just kind of like, a, oh, yeah, that makes sense. She wouldn't have flown type of thing. The explanation of Outbreak Day was also interesting. We don't get that in the game. Uh, and so this is the kind of the canon with which we can go by now. And we had, we'd connected some dots a little bit. And, and as we'd mentioned a couple times, it seemed like flower was 
the culprit and we'd gotten some cold opens, no cold opens this week, but uh, we'd gotten the cold opens to be able to connect some of the dots and Joel just kind of laid it all out. Um, I enjoyed the line from Ellie. They don't teach us how their shitty government failed to prevent a pandemic. Also maybe hit a little close to home with, uh, with as, as many things do with COVID in this, but the pause when Joel mentioned in pancake mix was noticeable uh, for obvious reasons. What did you think about kind of learning about outbreak day and, and kind of that moment in there he threw in as well, which to Ellie meant nothing, but to us meant something. Yeah. Um, I, I think it did a few good things there. Obviously it gives further credence to the idea that we had talked about in the first episode that the Millers were just narrowly avoiding mm-hmm. getting infected by uh, avoiding flour through those those couple of coincidences of the not having pancake mix and not eating the cookies and not having some of the biscuits and Joel potentially maybe being on Atkins. Um, but also, again, I just think it's another example of good writing where Sarah is everywhere in the story and almost never mentioned. It's just another small example a small pause, a small moment in Pedro Pascal's performance where he pauses just slightly before saying pancake mix. And again, you just know he's taking that second to think about Sarah before he pulls himself out of it. Um, just a small moment that I really liked, really appreciated. Uh, I thought the performance was great. thought the writing was great. Uh, the, the delivery of line was, uh, was really good. And it, it makes you go back in this first episode now and look like you said, how narrowly they avoided flower, which the first time we watched it, we didn't think about that. But every time you think back to it, whether it was the pancake mix, the oatmeal cookies, the cake that Joel forgot to buy, whatever it may have been just by happenstance seems to be the only reason that they weren't infected. They weren't a part of those that were infected. So it's again great writing on multiple fronts. The 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 part where Joel is trying to go through the woods and not have Ellie see something was interesting as well because it's the first time we see Joel trying to protect Ellie, and it's um, maybe it's some fatherly instinct kicking in, but he doesn't want her to see uh, what is up there. It, I think it was stuff I don't want you to see was his reasoning, which as Ellie Wood said, okay, well now I got to see it. So I liked seeing Joel protecting her even without even maybe realizing it necessarily, because it seemed like more at the end of the episodes when he accepted and it was the letter that Bill left that made him kind of realize he needs to protect her. But this felt a little more natural and on instinct. Yeah. And it's another example of Joel doing the same pattern, which uh, over the course of Outbreak Day, we saw him do twice with Sarah, which is like, don't don't look at or at least twice. Like, don't look at it. Don't worry about it. Keep your eyes on me. Don't look at that gunshot wound in your stomach. Just look at me. Uh, this it's almost delusional in the way of just like, OK, if if I just shield this young girl from I, I, I can I can make sure that she never experiences these horrors in the world. And that's not how it works. And. He tries to shield Ellie from this horrible thing, and she immediately jolts up and head. Well, now I have to see it uh, <laughs> in just a way that I, I thought was really well done and really interesting. That's It's just a very small character wrinkle uh, for Joel of just not wanting 
the teenage girl to to see any of the horrors, which is unavoidable in this world. And that's something that he just he needs to accept. I also want to give a quick shout out back in that very first scene with the rocks. One of you, you've we've mentioned his name several times, but Gustavo Santolala, uh, I'm loving the score for the show. I love all the times they use the same themes from both games in the show, but I also am loving some of the new stuff we're getting this theme when Joel is stacking the rocks and just taking that moment to himself to think about tests. I thought the music was gorgeous. Uh, I would, wouldn't hate hearing that again too, but re- really enjoying uh, the score of the show. Gustavo is incredible. And I love, I already love listening to the last of a soundtrack, just of his scores. And hopefully they release something with the new stuff with uh, this TV show as well. I heard, I heard it's coming soon. Awesome. All right. Uh, anything to say on this before we get to part two? No, I I did not realize how rocked my world was about to become. Part two, when Bill met Frank. In 2003, four days after Outbreak Day, we meet a doomsday-prepped, bunker-ready survivalist named Bill, played by Nick Offerman. He has security cameras, an impressive wine collection, and guns. Lots of guns. He hides in a bunker below his basement, watching Fedra round up everyone in his town. These are the people that would become that pile of bodies that Joel didn't want Ellie to see in the present day. Once these New World Order jackboot fucks are gone, Bill exits his home to find what he believes is his version of paradise. No people anywhere. Just Bill and Bill's town. He joyously loots his town, taking fuel, natural gas... Home Depot supplies, as well as paying a visit to the local wine shop to add to his collection. Bill takes particular enjoyment of watching an infected die to one of his tripwire traps on his security footage as he eats dinner. It says it never gets old. <laughs> Four years later, in 2007, so 16 years before the present day, Bill is alerted that someone has fallen into one of his traps, and that someone is Frank, played by Murray Bartlett. Frank was part of a group of 10 trying to get to Boston from the Baltimore QZ, which he says is gone. And now Frank's alone. Bill lowers a ladder for Frank and scans him with a Fedra scanner to confirm that Frank is not infected. After much hesitation, Bill not only agrees to feed the starving Frank, but lets him use his shower with hot water, gives him new clothes, and he didn't just give him some food. He prepares an exquisite meal of braised rabbit, with a wine pairing that deeply impresses Frank. I know, I don't seem like the type, Bill says. No, you do, Frank says after keenly staring at him. After dinner, Frank says he'll take his leave, but first makes his way over to an antique piano that belonged to Bill's mother. Frank sorts through the sheet music that he knows aren't Bill's, they were his mother's, before finding music from Linda Rostad. This is you. And Frank mediocrely plays an upbeat (laughs) rendition of long, long time, the song that the episode is named after. It turns out it was not just about the runtime of the episode, but it was an allusion to this song. Bill is offended by Frank ruining this song and asks him to stop. The song clearly means a lot to him, and it's upsetting him to hear someone butcher it. Frank is encouraging Bill to give it a shot, and then I'll leave, he says. And Bill plays a slow, somber, beautiful rendition. Love will abide, take things in stride. Sounds like good advice, but there's no one at my side. 
And time washes clean, love's wounds unseen. That's what someone told me, but I don't know what it means. Because I done everything I know to try and make you mine. And I think I'm going to love you for a long, long time. Frank is deeply moved. So who's the girl? Asking the question he knows the answer to. There is no girl. Frank puts a hand on Bill's shoulder and kisses him, and Frank instructs Bill to take a shower, and they get into bed together. And Bill tells Frank that he's been intimate with a girl once before, a long time ago, but never a man. Frank makes it clear that he's not having sex because of a free lunch and is planning to stick around for a while, and that is okay by Bill. This was more... It it was incredible how much we learned about Bill so quickly. And then obviously what we learn about Bill and Frank think to me, the just, I believe it's the very first words we hear Bill say, but it's quote, not today. You new world order. Jack boot fucks tells us so much (laughs) about who Bill is, why he's alive. Like you don't need to see anything else in his house. You, you learn everything you need to know with those eight, 10 words and whatnot. So I think it was a, a perfect intro to Bill as a character, and you very quickly realize who the what type of person he is. And Mason went into this on the official podcast, which, uh, again, I think we encourage people to listen to. We'll, we'll always recap the very interesting tidbits that we find so fascinating from it, but it's also a joy to, to listen to Troy Neal and, uh, and, and Craig talk about this stuff. And he, he includes a fun little tidbit, which is he wrote that line in the script in italics, signifying that like that's what bill is thinking but he doesn't say it out loud and nick offerman was just like so uh, this one thing i'm gonna say this line out loud <laughs> and craig was like oh okay cool <laughs> but uh fun fun little moment good good moment for the the episode teaser as well uh from before uh i thought that there are a couple of very interesting small details and again i think it's a testament to the writing of the show so one very small thing, the Fedra scanner that Bill has. And Frank is just like, how did you get that? And he doesn't answer. And I think we can infer that Bill's definitely killed some Fedra oh, yeah. people. Uh, so I, I thought that was a nice little addition there. Uh, and going back to music in The Last of Us, and we talked about before how, especially in The Last of Us 2, but really throughout the franchise, they use mut- music very well. And obviously, we get a few different examples. Obviously, the most notable example is the Linda Rostad song that the episode's named after. A couple fun tidbits. The song that's playing as Bill is looting is I'm Coming Home to Stay by Fleetwood Mac. It's a fun, upbeat song that was playing as he's going around looting. And the song right before he beats Frank is White Room by Cream, which is kind of an upbeat tune. But the song is actually about depression and hopelessness. And that's that's interesting for me to read into in a way that Bill thinks he's happy and living his dream. But there's a profound sadness and loneliness to him that doesn't really get addressed until until Frank shows up. I love how every song in in uh, in Last of Us matters like there there is something behind it, no matter what when it's played or anything like that, the the lyrics, the, the song title, whatever it is, it all always means something. And then in particular, long, long time, the song that plays such a big role in the episode 
Uh, Mazin knew what kind of song he was looking for, but didn't know what to do. He was searching for a song about permanent lonely heartbreak that can never be soothed, he said. Uh, and like someone convinced that they can't ever get to the love that they're after. And uh, I apologize, I didn't write down the name, but he said he had a friend who's a DJ on Sirius XM that has an encyclopedic knowledge of music. And he texted him that and just went in a matter of seconds. He's like, oh, yeah, long, long time by, by Linda Rostad. <laughs> so uh, I thought that's a fun little detail and a good example of how music can enrich a story, mm-hmm. even if you're going at it from the reverse way of I, I need to find the perfect song encapsulates this feeling there's so many good songs throughout history uh and so many good pieces of art they're describing different emotions and different feelings and different states of being that you can incorporate into a story and really develop a deep emotional attachment to it within the context of characters of the story that you're telling so again i thought they did a tremendous job with that when uh bill is driving around to i'm coming home to stay and doing all this looting i immediately and could not help but think how he is living Ron Swanson's dream. Like he is on his own, nobody else around him. He has a whole town at his beck and call and he gets to go get whatever he wants from it and build this uh, isolated, protected like dream basically to him, which it seems like a dream. As you said, it, it, it was a different dream than what he, uh, originally realized, but I I was just laughing the whole time thinking about how this is exactly what Ron Swanson would have wanted as well. And I get the feeling that uh, Bill shares a lot of politics with Ron Swanson. There was a (laughs) don't tread on me flag in there. Uh, There's a fun exchange later that we'll get to about the government being Nazis. Uh, There's some, he he seems to be a 9-11 was an inside job. Uh, conspiracy theorists so there's uh, some interesting aspects of of Bill there another one of those moments of realism that was kind of sprinkled in is when Bill first meets Frank when Frank is in the hole and Bill is walking up to him and asking are you armed and there's a long pause and then he says no and he said why did you take so long to answer that and he's like I was trying to figure out if I should lie or not and it's one of those things where like you see it so many other times where you're like, are you armed? No. And it, it's just this very cliche thing. And just to see it handled differently in this one adds a little bit more personality to the, the situation, adds a uniqueness, a realism, like I said, to this situation. And that scene, kind of watching it back, I, I noticed some some moments in that and then listening to the pod, the, the official podcast as well is that you kind of catch uh, Bill staring at Frank there and uh, maybe staring a little bit too long there at the end of that first encounter where he's looking at him and then his eyes dart away to like the woods. And there's a little, little bit of a smirk there from, from Frank. I think he, he realized uh, pretty quickly um, that, that, that he was gay. And we realize once they get inside the house that Frank caught on pretty quickly as well. Uh, There's the, I know I don't seem like the type and Frank saying, no, you do like, and then the, the, who's the girl you're singing about? There is no girl. I know it it was just those moments where he picked up pretty quickly on that. Going back to representation and what we thought Mason and Druckmann did a a really good job with this of asking 
gay men about this is every, he said every every everyone that they talked to said the same thing that there are some people you're not sure there's some people you have a pretty good idea and then there's some people you see that you you just know and you can see that person and all of them were consistent in saying that and definitely the way they wrote this frank sees bill and understands that about him and under I, I think he sees that profound loneliness and sadness to him and mm-hmm. especially i think the way that bill plays the song there's such a difference between the two takes and that happy up to he's going through it and then when bill plays it nick offerman might not be the best singer in the world but he does it so slowly and sadly and beautifully that it conveys a whole different meaning as opposed to when Frank was doing it. And it was their two personalities shining through in that it's Frank is this happy go lucky type. And Bill was this more reserved, quiet type. And that's how the the song was played. Although (laughs) again, the closed captioning really came through this week because it described Frank as sings badly <laughs> when the when the song starts. So uh, a little ruthless on that one. It was also rewatching it today. The first time I, I saw him kind of wiping the dust, I thought, oh, he's kind of judging him a little bit. The second time I watched it, I was like, oh, he realizes he has a purpose around here and that he can be, we, we see that, that Bill can be the one that, hunts and provides and does all of that while Frank is the one that can be uh, kind of the yin to Bill's yang in that regard. Yeah, Frank, I noticed that moment too. And the first time I watched it, I didn't quite know what he was doing. Why did he just wipe a line of dust? And then the second time I still didn't get it. And then I rewound it and watched it again and realized that it was just pointing out that Bill's not dusting his house. He's not like cleaning things. He's not taking care of things. He is all practical, all resource driven, all what do I need to do to do this? And Frank is much more of a nurturer. He will bring things to life. He will protect life. He will keep things beautiful. He'll, uh, you know, he'll clean the house. Bill's not much of a cleaner. And and Frank is obviously a different type that he prefers to keep things tidy and uh, do this and that. But yeah, I thought that was a good, very small, subtle way of demonstrating the differences. I also noticed, especially in the they're when they're walking through the house and to the piano specifically, just the tenseness with which Bill is just kind of walking. His shoulders are kind of shrugged and he just he he's really tense because I think he realizes um, the situation and, and the interaction between them. And it, it just struck me that his whole life he's had to hide himself as this person pretend to be this person that he isn't. And he's kind of confronting a, or facing a fear maybe in a lot of ways that somebody is there in his house where he doesn't necessarily want them to be and sees him like you in a way that nobody else has really seen him before. So seeing him in that regard, just, like balled up in and so tense and wound up that uh, it, it struck me rewatching it. But then you can see kind of that the kiss and the embrace that they have is just kind of that release more than anything, just the improbability of these two finding one another and 
these circumstances is wild. I mean, literally, if not for this, um, this cordyceps and, and all of this, it, they would not have found each other. And so for, for all of that to play out for these two to find each other for this situation to happen. And then you get the contrast to it in the, the bedroom scene where a far more vulnerable bill in the bedroom scene versus just comparing it to 10 minutes earlier in the show where he's gun pointed at Frank over top of him in a whole like demand asking him if he's armed and whatnot to the, to how he's acting in the, in bed with, with Frank and revealing he's never done this before. It was just such a, a an incredible performance from Nick Offerman. It just, so much he portrayed and I mean, just those 10, 15, 20 minutes in the show. All right. So that's all fine and good, but now it's time to cry. Part three <laughs> purpose in 2010, Bill and Frank having been together for three years are having an argument in the street. Frank wants to tidy up the street in the shops and Bill thinks it's a waste of resources and time. Paying attention to things, Frank says, it's how we show love. This is my street, too. Just let me love it the way I want to. Frank also declares that they are going to make friends, and they will invite those friends to visit. The notion is absurd to Bill. We will never have friends because there are no friends to be had, Bill says. But Frank reveals he's already been talking to, quote, a nice woman on the radio, <laughs> which turns out to be Tess. Bill and Frank host Joel and Tess for a lovely outdoor lunch. Well, lovely if you ignore the fact ignore the fact that Bill has a gun on them the whole time. Luckily, Joel and Tess understand. Frank invites Tess inside, which Bill strongly objects to. And Frank is drawn to the idea of having friends, but that does not appeal to Bill. Joel, however, seems to read Bill very well and gives him a much better pitch. Mutual benefit. He can get him things from the QZ that Bill does not have. Joel's construction background allows him to identify that Bill's fence, as presently constructed, won't last more than a year, and that he can get him high tensile aluminum that will last him the rest of his life. Lives, Joel corrects himself. He can tell that Bill is more concerned with protecting Frank than himself. Frank is seen pitching the idea of the decade-based music radio code to Tess, and Joel warns Bill that while traps and fence will keep him safe from infected or stray wanderers, there's still a threat of raiders. We'll be fine, Bill says. Later, Bill and Frank are jogging to a surprise that Frank has for Bill. Strawberries. Frank traded one of Bill's guns, a little one, he assures him, to Joel and Tess for a packet of seeds. They each pick a strawberry and burst into joyous, teary laughter. Bill apologizes to Frank for getting older faster than he is. I like you older, Frank says. Older means we're still here. Bill tells him that he was never afraid before Frank showed up, and he's afraid to lose him. At night, Frank awakens to noises of raiders outside the fence, and some fall to Bill's traps and the fence, and Bill shoots others, but also takes a gunshot wound himself in the side. Frank takes Bill inside to treat the gunshot wound, and Bill seems to be convinced he's going to die. He made a list for him and copies of all the keys. Call Joel, he tells him. You can't be here alone. Call Joel. He'll take care of you. He's scared. He needs someone to be there to take care of Frank when he's gone. Ten years later, 
only only half of the time jump that we got in episode one, just 10 years. Bill and Frank have gotten old and Frank, not Bill, is suffering from an unspecified neuromuscular disorder that has him wheelchair bound. Bill takes care of him, wheeling him around and making sure that he takes his pills. And as Frank lies in bed that night, he makes his decision in the morning. Frank tells Bill that today is his last day. Bill has trouble accepting this. What if they find a doctor that can help? But Frank knows there wasn't anything to cure this before the world fell apart, and he's made up his mind. He's had bad days, but more good days with Bill than anyone else, and begs Bill to give him one more good day. Frank proposes that Bill makes him toast. They go to the boutique, where Frank will pick out outfits for them. They will get married, and Bill will cook him one final delicious dinner, put all the pills in Frank's wine, and Frank will fall asleep in Bill's arms for the last time. It mostly goes according to plan, with one small detail. When they get to dinner, Bill crushes up the pills, puts them in Frank's glass, and watches Frank drink the wine that will kill him. But once he sees that Frank has followed through with his decision, Bill downs his own glass of wine, and Frank realizes that the bottle already had plenty of pills in them, enough to kill a horse, Bill says. This is not the tragic suicide at the end of the play. I'm old, I'm satisfied, and you were my purpose. Frank doesn't approve of Bill cutting his life short, but says that it's incredibly romantic. And the old lovers go to bed for the final time before we can assume they fall asleep in each other's arms. We've given a lot of plaudits to Nick Offerman, but Murray Bartlett in this kind of section specifically at the end of it, is absolutely incredible. The speech he gives when he decides it's his last day is awesome. It's touching. Um, as you said, he's he said he, he, he has had a lot of bad days, but he's had a lot of good days, and he asks Bill to give him one more good day and lays out the, uh, the plan that you mentioned, when Bill kind of protests, he asked, do you love me? And he said, yeah. And he said, then love me the way I want you to, which is we heard him kind of mention that type of phrase when talking about when he wanted to uh, paint the street or, or decorate. And he said, let me love uh, the way I want to, which is clearly a, a theme for him. But that speech leading into the dinner which there was an, I had an audible gasp whenever Bill down the drink after Frank did, because that was when you realize what Bill did. And just the line that you said, I'm old, I'm satisfied. And you were my purpose. Incredible. And <laughs> Frank, from an objective point of view, it's incredibly romantic was, just so much of their personality shining through one last time and a, a remarkable scene, a remarkable story and just incredible what they were able to do in these 60, 70, 80 minutes between the two of them. And Druckmann in particular talks a lot about the idea of a fate worse than death. And obviously it's something Joel goes through in Austin in the prologue and outbreak day. And it's really remarkable to me that I mean, it's, it makes total sense. But like we told you, Bill does not die in the game. The yeah. 
They they leave Bill in the town. He's alive. He still has that same set in his ways attitude. Uh, and he just continues carrying on in that town by himself in this very profoundly sad, lonely, paranoid life for himself. And while Bill dies and he doesn't die in the game and Bill dies in the show, he has so much more of a happier ending. This is in this world. And you can make an argument in, in any world. This is about as good as it gets as mm-hmm. a way to go out. They had a, a great, perfect day together. They showed each other all the different ways that they love each other. And they had a they had a great dinner. They had some good wine. There's some pills in there. And presumably they fell asleep in each other's arms. And that's a beautiful, sad, but heartwarming ending to these two characters and it just uh, it was it certainly i was i was not expecting bill to die a happy death that that is maybe the biggest plot twist of this adaptation so far yeah that's what caught, that's what i was going to say that's what caught me off guard because when he lays out this plan my thought is all right well this is how we get to frank dying and bill being by himself when joel and ellie get there and that's what made that moment when he downs that drink, just so much more impactful. Yeah. And even they, they did a little head fake for the gamer audience like us when they started, they, they, they had that first day together, they had sex, they cut to three years later and they're having a fight about how Frank, Frank is, is not fully happy with just existing by themselves. He wants friends. He wants his street to be nice. He wants things that are beautiful. And, Bill is very, again, we talked about very practical, very focused on uh, pragmatic ways of operating and resource management and all that. And that is not enough for Frank. And this is an idea that's explored a lot in a bunch of different apocalypse themes. This is something that a lot, I know a lot of people talk about in terms of Station 11. I'm going to watch that show, I promise. Stop bugging me about it. Uh, of survival being insufficient. and. Obviously, just living and surviving would not be enough for Frank. It wasn't enough for Game Frank and Show Frank. I think that's one of the characteristics they brought over from the game really well. Of the ver- That's one of the very few things we knew about Frank. We knew he was Bill's partner. He left, and Bill's way of life, at least in, in the way it's portrayed in the game, was not enough for Frank. I thought they did a really good job of fleshing that and, and exploring it and taking some different interesting turns while still preserving some of the cores of what we know about those characters. And it's just so nice that in this version, you get a happy ending. And again, it also does, like you said, it makes the game a little bit more sad when we go back and play it, realizing that maybe if if Bill had learned, if Game Bill had learned to love Game Frank the way that Show Bill did, he could have had a much happier ending. The argument you mentioned is full of uh, some great, some great one-liners, some great lines throughout uh, it starts off with Frank talking about uh, resource management and says, uh, so help me, I will run through one of your tripwires. If uh, if you mention that again, by far to me, one of the best parts is, is Frank exasperated saying, like, you think 9-11 is an inside job and that the government is full of Nazis. 
And Bill just yelling, well, they are full of Nazis. And Frank said, well, yeah, now, but not then. And it was such a, a great moment where you, Bill probably has to feel vindicated for a lot of things uh, with his thoughts on the government, with how things played out. But it ended with the line, just let me love it the way I want to, which, as I said, was the th- kind of the theme of, of that little chapter or that part that, that we're breaking down is just let, let me love it the way I want to, which was incredible and, and touching. Love the, the exchange about the Nazis and Nick Offerman's delivery. They are all Nazis. <laughs> it's great. Um, but also, so help me, I'll run through one of your trip wires. Did that several times in the game as Joel. <laughs> it's, it's, it's one of the funniest ways you can die in the yeah. video game is not seeing a trip wire and just running into it and boom, there goes Joel. He's dead. Uh, everybody, yeah. everybody that's played the game has run through one of those trip wires. Uh, we, we meet Joel and Tess 16 years prior, I believe, um, which adds an element to how long they've known each other and how long they've been around and, how long Joel's been in Boston, a, a lot to unpack with just that one scene. But I, it was fascinating to see that interaction and how Bill is, is handling having people over for, for lunch. And um, he was very much not wanting to open up to them, both literally and figuratively, <laughs> either his home or uh, anything in, in that regard. But what I found interesting was... Bill very much, very much relates to Joel, which we'll see later on, even if he doesn't like him, even if he, if he thinks he hates him in that moment, even if he has a gun pointed at him the entire lunch, which Joel eventually tells him to stop pointing a gun at his head. Um, even as much as we see Bill not trusting him at all, he still very much relates to Joel and respects him. Yeah, I think they see each other in themselves. I think Joel can clearly identify that Bill is much more concerned with protecting Frank than making friends or than protecting himself. That that we mentioned that earlier, that line of last year, the rest of your life. And then he pauses and says lives because he clock he clocks that he's because he sees himself in that of someone that's much more concerned with protecting than living or thriving himself. Uh, I, I wonder if the reason that Bill doesn't like Joel is if there's, if that maybe a little bit of that is self-loathing because he sees himself in Joel Mm -hmm. and, and that aspect of it. But I thought the way, the way they paired off, Tess and Frank and Joel and Bill, I thought made for some very good short interactions between the two. Uh, obviously, Frank wants much more uh, from life, and he's going to get way more talking to Tess about that than he is with Joel. And Bill is way more practical, and he's going to get way more about that of mutual benefit talking to Joel and straightforward than he is talking to Tess. And just thought it was uh, very well done. And obviously, this is. Another great detail, because in the game, obviously, we never get Tess and Bill, let alone, obviously, Tess and Frank, who, we, again, we never met. But Frank and Tess had had a working relationship, so it's it cool to see those characters together. You also realize in that moment that Bill isn't necessarily building this uh, 
compound almost this town this protected town for himself anymore it's to be there to protect frank as well because you start to realize that bill is very aware of his old age and we see in the next scene when they when with the strawberries and the the surprise there that bill apologizes to him for getting older quicker than him and we see i mean it's a heartbreaking and beautiful uh, line of I was never afraid before you showed up which again a brilliant line that reveals so much about Bill and what Frank means to him for sure and just one quick thing about that is it's obviously something that Maze and Druckmann have talked a lot about in the lead up to this show and in the first couple episodes that and it's sort of this eye-opening concept that there are downsides to love it's not all strawberries and 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 roses there are, you know, there's fear, there is uh, sadness, there's loss, there is just being scared that it's going to be taken away from you. It, it, it can lead you to do horrible things. And this is just one example. And obviously this ended up having a happy ending, relatively speaking. But just another interesting example of playing with that idea of Bill wasn't afraid. He was, you know, he was he was living a good existence. Uh, but there was still a sadness to him that was empty without the love. But he, he didn't have that fear ever present in his mind. And you see his worry for Frank and his future without him with the Raiders scene. You see Frank wakes up when they are being lit on fire. <laughs> but Bill was already standing in the middle of the road shooting at them at that point. Bill didn't wake Frank up for that. Uh, he went out there to fend them off. I'm sure one of his 72 cameras tipped him off to that. And But then, more importantly, when when he gets shot, his worry is not anything about his health. His worry is making sure Frank knows everything he needs to know to be able to survive. The the list he made, the copies of the keys he made, to call Joel to, to that he will protect you. Because he's certain he's going to die, which, again, there were a couple of head fakes during this uh, this segment. It certainly looked like he was going to die, and then you flash forward, I think, 10 years, and the circumstances are different. But you see in this section that um, Bill's mindset changed a lot to wanting to make sure that Frank was safe. And considering where we started when we met Bill, he didn't he didn't care for anybody else. So to get to a point now to where he wanted to make sure Frank was safe and then he just simply couldn't envision life without him was such a a, a new element to his character that I'm happy we got we didn't get that in the game and I'm I'm very happy we got this storyline. Yeah, I'm just happy that 20 years into the apocalypse the Raiders are still losing. That 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 makes me happy. <laughs> Sorry, football joke. But uh, yeah, and, and then obviously it's interesting that Bill's first gut reaction is call Joel. Like he's been preparing for this moment. He's been thinking about what he's going to do. It's just like, okay, Joel is the answer. I'm not sure if that's a good answer. I don't think Joel's going to drop everything to, to no. say Frank necessarily. Uh, but granted, uh, Joel seems to like Frank more than he likes Bill. As he's <laughs> that he's nice. Uh, anything on this section for Bill and Frank before we get to back to Joel and Ellie? Did not expect to cry when learning about the Bill and Frank uh, backstory. Certainly not to the degree to which I did during that dinner scene. For sure. Part four, a job to do. 
A few weeks later, Joel and Ellie show up at Bill's town. Joel knows the code to bypass the fence, and they find Bill and Frank's house empty and dusty. The dirty dishes and wine glasses from their last meal are still on the dining room table. Joel finds the bedroom barricaded, can't get in, and Ellie finds Bill's suicide note addressed to whomever, but probably Joel. Bill asks Joel in the note not to enter the bedroom and that they left the window open so the house wouldn't smell. Bill leaves Joel his loot, his guns, and his truck. Bill says he used to hate the world and he was happy when the world ended and everyone died, but he was wrong. There was one person worth saving. Quote, that's why men like you and me are here. We have a job to do, and God help any motherfuckers who stand in our way. Bill says Joel should use the weapons he's leaving him to keep Tess safe. Ellie has to stop when she gets to that point in the letter. And Joel takes the note, sees what it says, and goes outside. He's forced to live once more with his failure to protect someone he cared about, even if he couldn't let himself love her the way that she loved him. But when he returns inside, he tells Ellie that he can take her west to Tommy's. He's accepted the implicit message of Bill's note that he is there to protect someone. And when he returns inside, he, he tells Ellie that, and Joel says he will take her with him, provided that she never again brings up Tess. They keep their histories to themselves. She doesn't tell anyone about her immunity, and that she does what he says when he says it. Ellie agrees. In the bunker, we learned that the 80s song from the radio we had heard in the first episode played because the playlist would start looping if Bill hadn't reset it for a few weeks. Bill and Frank weren't in trouble after all. They were at peace. When looting the house, Ellie finds Frank's gun and hides it in her backpack. She finally has one, unbeknownst to Joel. Joel and Ellie hop in the truck to head west. Ellie finds a cassette and pops it in, and it's Bill and Frank's song. Long, Long Time by Linda Ronstadt. Joel loves the song, and Ellie, after a moment, says, it's better than nothing. As the music swells, we see, out of Bill and Frank's open window, the view of Joel and Ellie leaving, not Bill's town, but Bill and Frank's town, heading west. Bill and Frank are at peace, and Bill found someone he could love for a long, long time. Obviously, the main piece of information we get in this section is that letter which um it's a suicide note as you said it lays out everything that happened and more importantly is a message to Joel to it really drives home um the need to protect Ellie that he's this person that protects everyone at the same time it it reminds Joel of his failure to do just that to Tess. And as you said, when Ellie gets to that point in the letter, she stops. Joel grabs a letter, sees it and goes outside. And it's as emotional as we see Joel in this series so far. And it, again, he's kind of faced with the reality of what he, what he failed to do, but also kind of the mission that he now has. And, a second or, or third chance, I guess. Uh, it's not only Tess that he pr- feels he failed to protect, it's Sarah as well. So he has another chance at this with Ellie. 
and he accepts that mission. He uh, it, he he prepares, goes back inside and and tells Ellie he can do this. But that letter was it was another thing that wasn't in the game. And again, another powerful message from Showbill. And this is this sequence, especially when Joel goes outside and takes a moment to himself. And in the and it mirrors the episode in the beginning of, of the episode where he's sitting by the creek with the rocks. In the in the game, Joel is obviously a, a very sad and, and tragic character, but I feel like the show is doing a much better way of portraying that sadness. And a lot of it, of course, is having real actors that you not not say Troy Baker's not a real actor. I'm saying real people that you're capturing on camera mm-hmm. that can more effectively convey this. And I think Pedro Pascal, that's that's definitely one thing he's bringing to this role is you can you can see his pain and his sadness. And even though he's trying to shut it away and in some ways he's still very closed off, just like the game version, you can you can see it, you can register it, you can empathize with what he's feeling in these moments very well. One thing that's kind of fun about the letter even though obviously it's it's interesting and sad in different ways. This feels a little bit like a game lore pickup. So this is one aspect that the game does really well that is really interesting, if, especially if you go back and play the game after seeing the show. One of the ways that the game excels in building out the lore and, and building out the story of the world is you find a lot of notes like this, like Frank's suicide note. But also, you find a lot of notes that are not really mentioned by characters you just pick it up and you read it and you find out some fucked up shit or you find out some really sad story about what happened with this one family or you find out about strangers learning to trust each other and and take risks and 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 do all these different things and what's happening with the outbreak and family members trying to wait for other family members before eventually deciding they they just can't do it and and they have to leave the game does such a good job of fleshing out the world with a lot of those things that you pick up so this is kind of cool. That's sort of like the first little 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 mm-hmm. lore note that you got and you can go through. So that sort of picked out. But oh man, did they get a lot of loot from this house? <laughs> they are clearly not playing ungrounded or survivor difficulty. <laughs> they just show up to Bill's house and it's like, oh yep, here's a truck, here's toilet paper, here's deodorant, here's all the guns you could possibly want. Yeah, a wall of guns, as Ellie points out. It was uh, a hot shower, everything that you could possibly want they get in that house that was on whatever a step below the easiest mode is so that <laughs> going into that house. Um, one, one other thing about this letter, it sends a very opposite message to Joel from what game bill did. You mentioned when talking about the synopsis of game bill, he says multiple times, and I believe it's one of the last things he says is basically protecting Ellie is going to get you killed that you need to cut bait with Ellie and, and send her packing. As you said, this message from bill in the show is the exact opposite. It says you are a protector. We were protectors. You need to protect Tess or Ellie as uh, it, it would turn out to be. So what did you think about sending the complete opposite message at the end of this? So again, it, accomplishes the same goal which is to put a mirror up to joel and the choices he's made up to this point and and how he's feeling about the situation of potentially getting attached to someone again and and 
being exposed to the same pain. And as Mason points out in the podcast, I think it was Mason, that the idea of getting attached to, to someone like Ellie is much more dangerous to Joel in terms of potentially reliving his trauma than being attached to someone like Tess was or having working relationships with other people was. And it's 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 a big moment that he gets that message from Bill. And I, I think it is I think it leads him to be more open to the idea of being like, OK, I'm going to protect this kid. And in again, in the game, Bill is much more of a reminder of Joel's way of shutting himself off to an extreme degree. Here's this paranoid guy that lives in a complete town by himself doesn't interact with anybody outside of an occasional uh, trade with like Joel and Tess and is talking to himself and setting up traps and doesn't trust anybody and all that. Uh, But I think this is a very interesting way to explore the dynamic of Joel's closing himself off without doing it the exact same way. There was also, we get (laughs) for one of the very few times uh, straight from the game, some dialogue that um, it, at the end of this, after reading the letter, after Joel's made his decision, uh, he lays out the ground rules for what their future is going to be. You don't bring up tests. You uh, do as I say. And and he, I think the, the perfect, which it happens in the game too, the perfect summary of Ellie is, Joel says, repeat what I said. And she says something different. She says, do what, do as you say, or I can't remember the exact words, but just the fact that she, what you say goes. Yeah. What you say goes, uh, just the fact that she won't say exactly what he said is perfect kind of description of Ellie. She'll fall in line, but she's still herself. And I think that between, um, everything we've seen with Ellie up to this point And then this moment, it, it's great. It's, um, it's a great summary of who Ellie is as a, a person. And she'll listen to Joel. She understands it kind of, she needs Joel, but again, hearkening back to the very beginning, she's not just blindly going to follow Joel along. She's still going to, uh, have her way as well. And get a gun, yes. uh, among other things. But, but she's also, I think, more receptive to having Joel as as this as his protector at at this point. She, I think, has warmed up to him a little bit, starting to warm up to him a little bit more. Um, yeah, definitely that dialogue was straight from the game. I don't. They've they've done it. They've done a few, a few spots of it. They, they're picking and choosing their spots very well, just to take lines straight from the game. This actually happens before they get to Bill's town in the game, and it's happening yeah. as they're leaving Bill's town in the show. Uh. Another moment of of dialogue that's this that was straight from the game is when they get in the truck and they put in the cassette. It's, it's different music. It's Hank Williams in the game. And it's Linda Ronstadt for the show, obviously. But Ellie's like has has a moment of oh gosh, I don't know what this old timey crap is. And then he's like, well, it's better than nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later is like, you know what, this isn't that bad in the game. Thought that was a cool little moment. Uh, obviously, keeping our history to ourselves is Joel. You know, while Joel might be warming up to Ellie a little bit, he does not want her to know about Sarah. He does not want to talk about it. He does not want 
to think about it. He certainly does not want other people to talk about it or think about it. So that is the hard line in the sand that he's trying to draw. That's his number one rule. Not do what I say when I say it. That, that's rule three. Rule one, don't bring up tests. We keep our histories to ourselves. I think that tells you where Joel is still at emotionally. We also get a lot of our old favorites for the gamers at the end of this episode. The truck is straight from the game, the exact same truck. Uh, the Ellie shirt is from the cover of the game. Uh, so I was excited when she opens that box and pulls out the shirt and you just saw the back of it and you knew what it was. Joel's outfit is the same as it was in the game as well. And then we get the moment, the last one of those kind of realism moments that isn't, it's different from the game as well. Ellie gets in the car and she's never been in a car before. In the game, she drives the car briefly while uh, Joel and Bill are fighting off infected. She's in the car. She knows how to drive a stick like it is. She knows oh, how to pop a clutch. Yeah. She, Joel, is, Joel's like, or, or no, I think it was Bill. Bill's like, how the hell do you do? You know what? It doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't think we ever learned the answer to that. But yeah, I, I think uh, I think this, this this makes sense. Her look of wonder as she sits in the passenger seat and then Joel's like seatbelt and she like has no idea what he's talking about. And he's like grabs the seatbelt, puts it over. So again, got to say of all the people in this show so far, I think the the worst people at their jobs are the people doing the curriculum for the Fedra school. Like <laughs> what are you doing? She doesn't know what clickers were. She can't swim. She doesn't know what happened on outbreak day. She doesn't know about vehicles or like how they work or what seatbelts are or anything. Literally, what are they teaching at that school? Who is in charge? They need to be fired. She knows where Detroit is, though. She (laughs) knows where Detroit is. They're teaching U.S. geography to a post-apocalyptic world, but they don't know how to drive a car or uh, any of the actual life skills that are important. I guess in some ways is a good summary of the general education system. Let's go to some awards to wrap this one up. It's going to be an interesting one because... Uh, for example, the video game moment of the week, uh, just in in general, I, I wrote actually looting Bill's house, which you mentioned, <laughs> going around and grabbing everything from his house and throwing it in the back of the truck, which I also enjoy in the uh, in the game. You never throw anything in the back of this great t- <laughs> truck that you have, and they loaded the back of that truck up with tons of stuff. So that was my video game moment of the week. Did you have one? I, I think that, you know, I think that's a good one. I think, again, I'll, I'll go back to picking up the, the note as, as that lore oh, yeah. pickup. That, that's that's one that I enjoyed. Yeah. All right. I, and then here's so here's the tricky one. The the, the assuming this is a separate award, but we're doing the, the mm-hmm. baby girl. What was the best adaptation, the best moment from the game? Oh, I think there's, there's only like literally one option you can pick, which is <laughs> the rules that they laid out that at the at the end of the game or the episode that was word for word straight from the game. I don't know. There were very few other things that they even took from the game in this. Yeah, uh, <laughs> there's, there's not a lot to choose from again. This, yeah, this is uh, that conversation is is really one of the only moments there. There's nothing really at the beginning that they take from the game with um, Joel and Ellie's kind of interaction before we get to the Bill and Frank stuff. So uh, there there isn't much from the, the game at all, just in terms of straight dialogue that they take. Yep. 
Ellie's shirt. There we go. That's the that's the honorary <laughs> moment. Okay, yeah, so we're, we're grasping at straws here. Yeah, it's probably laying down the ground rules. Uh, I think that was a good conversation to include the way they did it. I will say briefly about video game moment. Uh, <laughs> I did have the thought the second time watching this that Joel was fidgeting with a door that was locked and he should have just crafted a shift. <laughs> Shiv, shiv door used to unlock. Yeah, which uh, actually I don't know that it would have been a good decision in in that case. There probably wasn't the amount of loot that you get when you open a door uh, in the game. So uh, hey, there there were pills. He could have found <laughs> some more pills to upgrade his stats, and hopefully not have too much of them and die. But MVP yeah. of the week for you. MVP of the week. I'm going to cheat and say Nick Offerman and, and Murray Bartlett. Uh, yeah. Hard hard to talk about one without talking about the other. They both crushed again. I'm ex- I'm expecting slash demanding uh, Emmy, Emmy noms for a guest star for both of them. I'm pretty sure that's an Emmy. I don't pay too close attention to awards. I just check in to see if the things I like won. But uh, I hope I hope they both get nominated. And I probably I would I would say uh, I hope Nick Offerman wins for one. Yeah, whichever one you said, I was going to say the other one. So, yeah, Nick oh, oh, and Mary. Sorry. I shouldn't have cheated. Well, that's fine. I we, do, I wanted to make sure they both got their flowers for this one because phenomenal from them. And, uh, yeah, Nick Offerman is, was absolutely fantastic in this. They have since updated. We mentioned this before. It said he was going to be in four episodes. It says one episode now. So you'd never tr- don't IMDB. They're a bunch of liars. <laughs> you can't trust them. I said in the previous episode, there's like there's no way that Bill's in four episodes. But hey, again, they brought Tess back for this episode. Yeah. Maybe we'll see Bill again at one point. Who knows? Uh, I, I probably I, I think not. But yeah, uh, you know, hey, I wouldn't I wouldn't be op- opposed to it. And then the best change <laughs> the entire episode just, we do. Just, gestures at bill and frank yeah. uh I, I'll, I'll go more specific and just say the fact that bill got a happy ending yes and i think there's interesting things to dissect with both versions and i don't think either version takes away from the other and i think it going back to the game it'll almost be like just playing an alternate timeline, like an alternate version of this is what happens when Bill and Frank didn't work it out. uh, And Bill didn't love Frank the way that he needed to be loved. But I, 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 it was, it was shocking. It was heartwarming. It was was beautiful. So I'll say that's, that's the best change. Bill, Bill going out on, on top. He, He died. He died at a pretty old age. Uh, after a, a great day, great dinner, uh, in the arms of someone he loved. Yeah, that I I can't think of a better change that they made in this one, other than just simply the entirety of getting that storyline. Just having Frank be a part of this this game and this world in the show. He wasn't there in the game, obviously. I want to put uh, you on the spot with one mailbag question we got from hit me from Nick, which is. He asked another question, which was a little silly. We can get into at the end. But do you think there was anything lost by changing this whole section from the game? I mean, of importance, no. Uh, I really wanted Bill and Ellie interactions, but that's that's my answer. Is just Bill, Bill and Ellie were so 
it's some of the funniest stuff in the game. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to go into details, but if if you guys want to go back and watch the cinematic playthrough of Bill's Town, it's a lot of fun with with Ellie and Bill. They they do not like each other, but they have <laughs> they have fun banter. Uh, you know, I'll I'll tell I'll tell one detail. They're going they're going through the car, or excuse me, they're going through the town, and they find these cars that are like pretty shortly outside of Bill's like safe house. And Ellie's like, so why didn't you think about fixing one of these cars? Bill's like, oh, my God, you're a genius. I mean, all this time. Why didn't I think about building one of these cars? I was just like, okay, don't be a dick. But they they have have some fun interactions if you want to go back and and watch the rest of it. And then the other question from Nick, will we now denounce on this platform that HBO and Nick Offerman are cowards for not giving us a full frontal? (laughs) I was wondering how much... Uh, we were going to see during that scene. They uh, they did not lean all the way into it. I was the camera little... panned up and audiences yeah. across the country groaned in disappointment. Considering what we saw in the second episode during the cold open, I was I was <laughs> I was preparing myself for anything being a possibility during that mm-hmm. scene. So no, no denouncing. <laughs> no, I'm not not criticizing anybody. Not, <laughs> none of that. All right. Uh, I think that will. Any any final thoughts before we transition over to the spoiler section? I again, want to say again, if you're listening this far, thank you so much. Thank you so much. We we love you guys for listening. Um, please reach out to us if if you're enjoying the show. Shoot us a, shoot us a tweet. Follow us on Twitter at TLOU Nerds. Again, we got uh, thank you to everyone that submitted questions for this week. Uh, if you would like to submit your questions, we encourage those. I think it helps us make a better show when we have some interaction with people that are listening. So thank you to everyone that sent those in and can please continue to do so. You can email us at TLOUNerds at gmail.com. Uh, and again, please give us those five star reviews so that we can appease the almighty algorithm. But Jacob, do you have any thoughts before we transition? I Just going back to something you said, I think at the very beginning, in the game, this was a very boring section of the of the game just in terms of kind of storyline and whatnot the fact that we've gotten this um has me super excited and optimistic about the rest of the show when we already had stories that were captivating and just seeing what craig mays and neil Druckmann what they're going to be able to do with this platform with the, all this extra time that they're going to have, basically I, this, it was a pleasant surprise of an episode that only has me more excited about where we're going to go. And, and Neil said in the inside of the episode, whenever they have these ideas of whether to stick with what's in the game or whether to deviate, it's very simple. Is it better than what was in the game? They're going to deviate. If it's not, they stick to, to, to the game. Now, and granted, uh, I, I wouldn't call it part boring, but I would say, yes, I think objectively the stretch from showing up in Boston to leaving Bill's town is probably the least interesting part yeah. overall of the story of the first game. Uh, so I am definitely excited. Also, one additional question. We've already mentioned this before, but I got a question from John saying if at the pace that we're going, do we think that they're going to do the whole uh, game in the first season? Yes, almost assuredly. We're pretty confident that they're doing the whole first game. And we suspect ending with the same ending, which we're very excited about and not going to talk about yet uh, to, to get there. But uh, again, thank you for listening. We are now going to exit the quarantine zone of spoilers. So if you do not want any spoilers about The Last of Us, 
from the knowledge that we have of playing both The Last of Us Part 1 and The Last of Us Part 2. We will see you next week. Thank you for listening. If you're still here, that means that you are ready to have us unleashed with our full (laughs) spoiler knowledge. Uh, And there's a a few things we need to talk about. So obviously, with, with, with the huge changes that we made, there's maybe less that we can uh talk about in terms of yeah this won't be a very big spoiler section this week jacob is praying for our runtime uh uh, okay so obviously i had a friend that knew everything about this game with mortal Kombat. they're talking about riley i think they're doing a very good job of planting little seeds for the audience to set up the left behind episode which i believe is coming in episode seven uh based on the episode titles that i saw so that there is that. I'm very excited for that episode. I, th- I think that's the only one that's solely written by Neil. So that that's one interesting tidbit there. Can't wait to see Storm Reed as Riley. I haven't really watched Euphoria, but I've heard she's great in it. Um, one one really fun tidbit was when Ellie said getting into the car for the first time. Like, it's like a spaceship. Oh yeah, I will say, having watched this episode and the the story they tell with. Bill and Frank and all of these tidbits they're dropping about Ellie and Riley. I, that's probably the episode I'm most excited about. Uh, That could be heart wrenching. (laughs) Like this was heart wrenching and we didn't even know what to expect, even knowing what to expect and what the ending's going to be in that, what they, I mean, I feel like it's very intentional. All of the Easter eggs are kind of planning throughout this again, as you kind of said, Mentioning Riley without mentioning Riley, it's a little more heavy handed in this one. I had a friend mm-hmm. who uh, who knew everything about this game and whatnot. But yeah. And then, and then again, just in, in terms of the spaceship, obviously, I was, I was referring to the, the moment in the museum where yep. she, she gets into the spaceship with Joel, which um, season two, I'm, I'm ready to ball like a baby when that scene happens. Which yeah. talk, 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 obviously, we talk a lot about iconic moments from the first game that we can't wait to be adapted. I think we both agree that that's uh, a big one from. Part it's one two of my favorite that, scenes in just yeah. the both games, period. It's one, yeah, it's like one of my favorite scenes in stories of things, period. But yeah, it's, uh, it's great. And then, okay, so a, a couple things. So you, you said that's the episode you're most looking forward to. For me, it's still going to be the finale. Uh, I'm yes. and a couple couple interesting small things here. So, God help any motherfuckers who stand in our way. That's a little itty bitty foreshadowing for uh, Joel's choice. Obviously, that's going to come in the finale and, and what he does there. Uh, one thing on Gustavo was when Bill, when they swallow the pills or they they drink the pills. I mean. And Bill takes takes Frank to bed for the last time. They play the same musical theme that happens when Joel and Ellie stumble across the giraffes, which that's going to happen in the finale. I hope. I assume. Um, I I would. I, we better get some giraffes, right? We, that would that would be something we would be sad about if we didn't get. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> that okay, that right. moment. Every time I play the game, I stop for five minutes just staring at the giraffes. My only concern. There was a that CGI shot was a little rough again, looking at the plane and them kind of walking away. Wasn't as bad. Uh, I hope that they spent a lot of money on on the giraffe scene or just brought in real giraffes, I guess. But I, I do that. Yeah, I was going to say, I hope they just have real giraffes. That, that would be, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, ideally they, they would just have giraffes there, but yeah. I am. That is 
that scene is going to be fascinating. I, I, I didn't catch the giraffe theme, so I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my ears, my ears are always perking up when I hear Gustavo <laughs> start strumming. So, um, Will, our friend Will, asked a good question. Well, he didn't really ask the question; he sort of just said thoughts and was wondering. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna try and figure out a way to wear this into a question, but then I didn't remember to write it down. But basically, <laughs> he was asking if the Ellie's question about if it was monkeys, if it was like if the the infection started from like a monkey biting someone. He was wondering if that was like a little Easter egg to the monkeys that show up later in the game. So where the monkeys are in the game is after they go to Jackson, then they go to Eastern Colorado universities trying to find the firefly lab, which they don't know yet has moved to Salt Lake city. That's where we find a pack of monkeys roaming around. And I'm not a hundred percent clear if we get complete clarity on what happened. They were obviously doing some experiments on monkeys and potentially some of them got infected and bit the guy that was doing the recording mm-hmm. that, that revealed a Joel and Ellie via recording that they moved to Salt Lake city. But I, I do think it was somewhat of a Easter egg, which makes me think maybe they're not going to do monkeys when they get to Eastern Colorado. And I think that's fine. That was a very small detail in that part. That's not like, Oh man, we're we're gonna be mad if there's no monkeys like the giraffes. <laughs> so I th- I think that's fine. Yeah, I thought it was intentional because my mind immediately went to that scene and uh, the monkeys hopping around the lab and on the campus. Yeah, and then we got final mailbag question of the day, which is is very open ending that we can take in whatever direction we want because we're in the spoiler section now. But I believe Eden. I hope I hope that's his name. I think so. Says we've seen some deviation from the game's version already. Who boy have we? Especially this episode. <laughs> How do you see things going differently in the remaining episodes, and what should stay close to the same? Yeah, that's. I mean, I'm trying to think of the other key storylines. Obviously, Henry and Sam, which might be next week. They they weren't oh, in. Man. Yeah, they uh, weren't in the preview but and i would think that you would put them in the preview that we already i think know that that story is a little bit different but Mm -hmm. um dude that's that's gonna fuck people up um and i mean it it should but like i'm a little i'm so i i got my sister to watch the first episode and she's like it's very long and very dark and i'm not sure how to feel I'm like, oh, the next episode is a little spooky, but then I think it'll get less spooky. And she's like, oh, I'm more concerned about it being depressing. And I'm like, well, like, <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, fair concern. It's going to be, but oh, it's that's, not going to get better in that regard. <laughs> that's going to be a brutal. I mean, and again, we've talked about it. There's some moments of joy and, and lightheartedness and warmth to the story, certainly. But oh, man, are there some daggers to the heart? And that's maybe the biggest one remaining, uh, especially now. My God, have you seen the little kid? that is playing yeah. Sam. He's yeah. so fucking cute. He's adorable. Well, uh, he was a lot younger than Ellie and they were he roughly is. the same age. No, he, and... he, def- he definitely looks younger and he's yeah. deaf and it's, Oh my God, it's going to be so sad. Yeah. So um, keep that like element the same, but I mean, they had, they change every change they've made. I, I've largely liked so far, I think almost universally off the top of my head. So like whatever they want to change, they're batting a hundred so far. So like a thousand, I, well, yeah, or yeah, a thousand. A hundred would be awful. Batting a yeah. thousand so far, so I'm I'm open to whatever they change. I I don't. They're not like the Henry and Sam storyline. You you can't like drastically change that. Nor do I think yeah. they would. They're keeping the really important ones the same. So 
what what could they change? I'm I'm not certain what they could change. Maybe some stuff with David and um I mean I would imagine we're gonna get a lot more backstory and story about the group that they're with there, but mm-hmm. I, I don't know that there's a whole lot left. It seems pretty straightforward at this point what like each storyline, what it's going to be and uh at least the main details, what they're gonna be moving forward. Yeah, so I, I have a couple of bits. So I, the ranch scene, which is uh, one of the most that is my favorite scene. In the, yeah, in the so it, and I'm I'm not concerned at all about that because we basically heard some of the lines yeah. that we know are in that scene in some promotional material. Uh, include again, we mentioned this like the first snippet we heard uh, of footage from The Last of Us was the uh, everyone I've cared for has either died or left me and Joel saying, you have no idea what loss is. So I have a feeling that scene is pretty much going to be the exact same, uh, which maybe they'll find a couple of weeks to tweak it and, and improve upon it. But I, I, that would be one of mine if I didn't know that already, but obviously I know that um, I would say the ending, uh, especially the last scene. I think they have to, I, I think, okay. Yeah. And then cut. I think that still has yeah. to be the final shot. I That is like the most. Per, the whole finale I'm so excited for because it is my it's my like favorite ending to anything. It is shocking. It is thought provoking. There's going to be a lot of discourse. Oh, man, are we ready for the discourse? <laughs> um, but that moment, I, I think, is in and Joel obviously lying to Ellie. That has to say the same. Okay, has to say the same. Yeah, her delivery, um, Ellie's delivery or Ashley Johnson's delivery, that is perfect. And not that I'm I'm necessarily worried, but the delivery of that has to be perfect. Just the way it's one word. It's a very short word, but the way she says it in the game leaves so much open to interpretation that yep. that that is a very important word and scene to. Yep how this series or this season ends excuse me for sure i if if they don't end that scene with all the show watchers that haven't played the game immediately wondering if ellie believes him the huh. it'll be it'll be a mess so yeah. i yeah I, I i think i think they they need to do that and that's that's obviously that's that's probably the biggest like question mark you would have going into season 2 so I think that's a very important cliffhanger, effectively, especially now that people know that there's a season two. When we played The Last of Us for the first time, we didn't know for sure there was going to be a second game, and then obviously it blew up. It's great, but um, yeah. So that that uh, that's my answer. But some of the things that they could go differently, I, I think. Oh, by the way, I think next episode we're getting KC represent. Let's go. <laughs> uh, based on the trailers and based on what they've said about the uh, uh, some of the characters that are going to show up, so. I'm wondering if maybe by the end of the episode we'll be with Henry and Sam. You think I'm interested. So I've seen this on IMDb for a couple of weeks now, the screenshot that they have for next next episode looks an awful lot like the ranch scene. No, I don't know. I don't think they would put it that early. And I mean, we've already learned IMDb lies, but yeah. I, I would be interested to see. They certainly have to keep that much further back in the episode or in the season uh, for it to carry the same weight. But yeah, I'm I'm just interested in this next episode. If 
Henry and Sam are in it, how much they're in it, because the way we thought it was going to play out, we thought this would be the Henry and Sam episode. And like I said, they are not in the the one preview at the end of the episode. So I would imagine it a little bit of a transition, I would imagine, is going to be leading up to them running into Henry and Sam maybe at the end of the episode. I think there's enough Henry and Sam to have it be over two episodes. And I, th- yes, I, th- I think it's that because the title of the sixth episode is called kin. Yes. And, and the seventh episode is left behind. So I strongly suspect kin is when they're in Jackson. And then when they have that conversation and I'm wondering if they incorporate the word kin into that conversation, which it isn't uh, in the game as, as maybe one potential way they could share that. Like you're not kin. Um, so I, yeah, I, I suspect Henry and Sam dying will be in episode five, but Ooh. I could be wrong. That'll Prepare be nice. Uh, <laughs> because that is going to be, oh, it hopefully, just... hopefully the Chiefs will have won the Super Bowl <laughs> and then I can watch Henry and Sam die and it will be sad. Maybe don't watch it that same night, <laughs> regardless of the result uh, of the Super Bowl. It's going to be an emotionally draining day because... I, I remember when I played the game and that scene happened, it was just set the controller down and walk away. I have a, I have a thought, one other thought in terms of adaptation with David. And this is something I've thought a lot about since uh, watching Game of Thrones, which I don't really think I appreciated or really understood the nuances of the conversation. And I probably still don't because it hasn't happened to me. But I hope that... I think they they do a very good job of treading the fine line in the game of making it clear that David is a pedophile um, and in, in implying without showing anything awful, awful that he's about to do something awful to Ellie before she kills him. I hope that they handle that in the same tasteful way and don't do anything too over the top in terms of sexual violence. Uh, just because obviously I know that that can upset a lot of people when that's shown on screen, especially when it's shown on screen unnecessarily. And in terms of adapting this source material, which does it so carefully, um, I would hope and slash I'm, I'm pretty sure that they'll do it in the same sort of way. Uh, but that's that's just one other thing that's on my mind in terms of adaptation. The way they handled everything in that regard in this episode, just the way they handled this episode overall just from the representation part how they handled various like aspects of the the episode and just the the episode in general like i said has me excited because there are so many captivating storylines left henry and sam riley and ellie um the whole david ellie kind of battle and whatnot and then the finale like all those were already very captivating. Like there was no Bill and Frank in the game and it ended up being one of the best episodes of the season. So, and so the fact that there are other things left on the bone still, so to speak, and that, Oh man, I I am so, so excited after this this episode. This is on pace in my opinion to be not just like to say it's the best video game adaptation at this point is an insult. Cause it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's well, well clear. It's, it's so clearly, but this is in my opinion, 
on its on its way to setting the standard for what any type of adaptation of a beloved source material can be. And we've talked about it so many times, but just in terms of the way that it is honoring and loving the original source material and honoring all the iconic moments that fans of the game would want while taking every opportunity still to pull at different threads and find ways to flesh it out and improve it and enrich it and be additive coming into this. I was really just hoping they would do it justice and that it would, it would be good. Right. I hope they, I hope they keep the same moments and and that they, they do a good adaptation. I, again, I said it before, I don't think I fully wrapped my head around the idea that this could just be better in so many different ways and be additive to the experience and make you want to go back and play the game and think about it in a different light and think about it with different contexts and different possibilities and different character choices. And it's, it's, it's really, it's something so far. And, um, obviously we're geeking out about it. We're, uh, enjoying it. Yeah. I, I like leaving it on that note. This has exceeded even our wildest expectations. It's been, a blast so far and the best is I think still ahead of us. So thanks uh, to everybody still listening. If you uh, lasted through all this, you are amazing. Uh, leave the the reviews, the, the ratings, all of those help us tremendously. You guys have been awesome with all of that. Um, follow us on Twitter at T L O U nerds. And uh, we appreciate all the support you guys have given us. It's blown us away. Again, thank you so, so much. We will be back here next week to talk more Last of Us. But until then, for Tom, this is Jacob signing off. Have a great week, everybody.